Hey, open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 10. That's where we will be uh, today. Um, while you were, think about this with me today as you're gonna, kind of getting ready to get to, into our text today. When you were in school, did you ever get nervous? Like when a teacher would call on you to read? Like you're, you know, kind of keep your head down a little bit. You're hoping your teacher doesn't call on you. Uh, I don't want that to happen. Uh, I mean, especially in like English lit class where you might be in the middle of something that you can't say all the words or pronounce all the things. Maybe you were reading the Canterbury Tales. One at the Prilla with the shore of Sote. The droth of March hath passed to the Rote. And bothered every vein in Swiss liqueur. Of which vertu engendered is the hoor. One Zephyrus egg with his sweated breath, engendered hath in every holt and hath, you know, on and on and on. Maybe you wouldn't want to read that. Well, that's the way I feel about today's text today, because Genesis chapter 10 is filled with a lot of names. And they're not like Sam and Joe and Paul and Bob. Those are not the names in Genesis chapter 10. So I feel a little bit about that whenever we're getting into today's text. So jump in with me, if you will. Uh, to uh, Genesis chapter 10. I'm going to read them and we'll just go with it. So here we go. Genesis chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripha, and, Tog- and Togermah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. And from these, the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, uh, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The sons of Ramah. Sheba and Dedan. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. Verse 11. From that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kela, and Rezin between the Nineveh and Kela. That is the great, the great city. Egypt fathered Ludim, Anamim, Lehabim, Naphtalim, Pathrasim, Caslehim, of whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarim, the Amorites. Oh, hang on. Kaphtarim, verse 15. Canaan fathered Sidon, the firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gigashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Semurites, and the Hamathodites. Whew. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. Verse 19, And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zebuim. Zebuim, excuse me. As far as Lasha, verse 20, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, and their lands, and their nations. We're going to keep going. To Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, um, Arpashad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, 
Hull, Gether, and Mash. Uh, Arpashads fathered Sheila, Sheila, and Sheila fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons. The name of uh, one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelef, Hazmareth, uh, excuse me, Hazmareth, Hazmareth, <laughs> Jareth, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Oba, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha, all in the direction of Sephar, to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the son of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these the nations spread among the, all the earth after the flood. Whew. So there we go. Uh, I am so glad to get through those names. I, I, I mean, I know that it's Genesis 10 and that it's in the, in the Bible, but I mean, these names could have been the names of Joe Exotic's tiger names for all I know, or it sounds like the invite list to the Catalina wine mixer. I, I don't know. It's just a long <laughs> list of names. <laughs> But anyway, I kid, I kid. Uh, here's what I've learned through the years about saying names like this. Read them quickly. Read them confidently. I mean, who's going to question whether or not I pronounce dodonym or pathrosim correctly, right? I mean, what you got? What you got? Anyway, uh, look, one of the things that I am really most thankful for Refuge is, um, and being the teaching pastor here at Refuge, is the, the, the way that you're willing to listen to biblical teaching, whether it's live whenever we're together in a big gathering room, or whether it's on Facebook Live, and you've tuned in, you and your family, to listen uh, to biblical teaching and what the text actually has to say. Expository preaching is a big value for us here, verse-by-verse verse preaching through the text. And, and so it's passages like you get to this one and you go, what you going to do with this, preacher boy? I mean, what you going to do with a big bunch of lists of names and I think you would agree that there are passages of Scripture that are much more easy to understand and much more easy to make application from, much more exciting to preach. I mean, if you think about it, there are some uh, uh, things like this. I'm sorry, I'm going through. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 uh, says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And, and so we believe that very text that Timothy wrote this. He said that all Scripture is profitable. So so even this list of names is somehow profitable for us. And, and so today we go, it's Genealogy Sunday at the Refuge. Um, can I get an amen in the house? Amen. There we go. That's, that's what I'm saying. And so maybe you're following along with us uh, in your daily reading plan, or, or maybe you're utilizing your own reading plan, or however you're finding your reading plan. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, sometimes you're going to get to this and... And you're going to skip right over them. If it were me, I, I've skipped genealogies before because I'm like, this is a list of names. I'm not going to get anything out of this. Um, but today, my, my hope is uh, that today's message will change your mind even about genealogies. 
Uh, but what I do know is that genealogies and reading through those apply something very different from us than, let's say, Ephesians chapter 2 would. Turn your Bibles with me, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I want to read uh, uh, just some text from there because I just want you to see what we just read today and the text we're going to cover today is very different from something in, say, the New Testament text. This is what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Uh, it says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked from the, uh, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so Paul says, hey, that's who we all were. And then you get to verse 4, and it says, but God. If you're a writer in your Bible and you've actually pulled it out, I would encourage you to circle those two uh, words, but God. That's a big turning point in Paul's letter in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. So God is the one who made us alive together in Christ. And it says, by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated uh, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that's Ephesians chapter 2. So you compare that to Genesis chapter 10. Very different. Here's another one. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Flip over there really quick uh, to Romans chapter 8. This is another one that we would see uh, a, a little bit different. Romans chapter 8 this is one of our favorite verses in, in all of Refuge 8.1. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. All God's people said? Yeah, Amen. Uh, the law for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We'll stop right there. So, so you can see that in both of these passages, the meaning is very clear. The application is very straightforward. This is who we are. This is what we're called to do. And, uh, but, it, but it doesn't mean that passages like Genesis 10 are any less meaningful. And really neither are they less applicable. But two things we need to think about as we are thinking through this Genesis 10 passage. One, it just takes a little more work in Genesis chapter 10. I mean, it takes a lot of mining the scriptures and digging through the scriptures to go, what is this? How do you actually preach this? I mean, it, it takes much more work in Genesis 10 than it does in, say, Ephesians chapter 2 to understand the meaning and to make applications. And, and honestly, and the second thing I want you to know is uh, the application really that you take from Genesis chapter 10 is just very different from other New Testament scriptures. So, I mean, if you, uh, so as we think about even those two, the Ephesians and the Romans a text that's really asking us to believe a foundational gospel truth. Hey, here's some truth, and I want you to believe that this is actually true, and then and really to live our lives in accordance with that. So we call that indicative imperative. So this is what you're called to believe. That's the indicative, and the imperative says that this is what you're called to do. Indicative. This is what we believe. 
imperative. This is what we're called to do in light of that. But after we read and study a list of names like we see in Genesis 10, this is, we're really just called to see and understand. So this is really about just some knowledge, some head things to go, okay, I want to see the thing that, that the writer is wanting me to see, and I want to understand why it was that he would have written this in the beginning. Uh, so the application must be different. Uh, but here's something that we have to know. Application that begins with the words see or understand is no less important than an application that begin with, begins with the words do. So I know we like to do things, and I know we like to have the Scriptures tell us to do something or to stop doing something or to begin to do something. But the thing that we're going to see today, to, to see and understand, is no less important than the ones that tell us to do something. I mean, the reality is, um, seeing and understanding the message of the Bible is much more foundational than even to do something. I mean, my objective as a minister of the gospel is, is not to convince you to do something, but to believe something, to see and understand something. My, my concern is not to make you a better person, but to convince you that Jesus is who he said he was, that Jesus came in the flesh and Jesus lived the life we're called to live and died the death we are all that we should die. And he has called us to trust in him for our salvation and understanding by believing that you would have eternal life. And then after that is to really to obey him, to believe. So belief leads to obedience, or at least it should. You tracking with me? Y'all tracking with me? Okay, good. Good. There you go. Where y'all on Sunday? Where y'all when we meeting together? All right, so what I hope today will happen is that, uh, that, that you'll believe that this list of names that appear in the Scriptures from time to time are of really great importance uh, because they tell the um, important uh, piece uh, of the storyline of our salvation. Uh, because here's what God didn't do. God didn't just drop Jesus in one day kind of out of the blue and go, oh, I've got to have a plan and now I'm just going to drop him in. No, the reality is that from God making a plan, even from way back in the beginning of time, and making that promise that he would do it in Genesis chapter 3, there's just a long storyline of getting to the story of redemption when Jesus would actually come. I mean, in, in Genesis chapter 3, you know, he said that, hey, now that Adam and Eve have sinned, I, I'm actually going to, you may bruise Satan, you may bruise the heel of the woman, but I'm going to crush your head. Uh, and so this begins the long storyline of actually getting to this very place. And so Scripture tells that redemption story. Uh, can, scripture tells of God preserving a people for himself in the world. And it was that pe through that people that the long-awaited Messiah would actually come in, in what I'm saying. So why am I saying all this? Well, I want you to understand that there is no gospel of Jesus Christ apart from these genealogies. Let me say that again. There is no gospel of Jesus Christ apart from these genealogies because uh, God determined in, in history past uh, to accomplish our redemption and he, and he did it and he chose to do it progressively rather than just bringing Jesus in right away in Genesis chapter 8 or 10 or wherever you might be in your study. Uh, but he said through the elect line that I'm going to call out and through the generations that are to come, we eventually come the Savior who is going to save the world. 
And what we see here in Genesis 10 is the early stages of the development of that story. Uh, so there's so much that can be said about this passage. I mean, we could go into lots of details about all these people and who they were and, and what they mean and, and multiple lineages of them, but tracing each one of them is really not my purpose in preaching today. And so after studying this and gaining some counsel and talking to other pastors and, and really kind of seeing what it is that how in the world do we, we make some sense out of this, um, let me begin by, by just a few statements that I want to make about this, this passage that I think will be helpful uh, for us as we get into this. So, so the first thing is this. Um, uh, in, in Genesis chapter 10, this is not a typical genealogy. I mean, early Genesis genealogies um, uh, clearly trace like father to son. Uh, we'll see like in Genesis chapter 5, 1, it says, it says this, this is the story of the book of the generation of Adam. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness. And after his image, he named his son Seth. And then it goes on and talks about that. It gives lineage the this uh, begat this person, and this person birthed this person. So it's a very linear thing that we see early in Genesis chapter 5. But the reality is what we see in Genesis chapter 10 is a, a, a table of nations. This text is to show where the nations of earth descended from after the days of Noah. That's, that's the purpose in laying this whole thing out in Genesis chapter 10. Secondly, uh, this passage is a continuation of what was said in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18. This is what the text says in 9, 18. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. Uh, and these three uh, were the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. And so the, the table of nations in Genesis 10 really maps out this whole dispersion of people from the earth dis descending from the, the three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So it's kind of like a dot, dot, dot from, from Genesis 9, 18. If you read 9, 18 and dot, 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 that's what you get in Genesis chapter 10. Thirdly, We've got to remember this, that the book of Genesis was originally written not to us, but to Moses and ancient Israel. And so that's a hard thing to realize sometimes whenever we're reading the scripture, we're reading texts like this, is uh, that it was written to Moses, this time was written to them, after they had been redeemed from Egypt. So, this, so, so, so Genesis was written or, or given to Moses way further down in the storyline after they were redeemed from Egypt. And so I know it's hard for us to kind of figure out who these people were and, and who these this generations of people were, but the reality is because of when it was written to them, uh, they would probably know who they were. The people in Moses' day would have recognized some of these things. They would, they would have recognized some of these names, and, and they would have known who these odd names were. Remember, if you're going to say them, say them confidently, say them quickly, and that's the way we're going to say them. But they would have known who those people were. They would have known uh, just like that. they would have been the cousin. I mean, think about telling the story today. And maybe you don't understand the context or, uh, or the family or the people around you don't understand the context or the, the circumstance of the story or, or maybe even a cultural significance of a story that gets told. I mean, I could tell you a story about my hometown and, and say the big chicken and hatchy bottom and I mean, if you've been there to where those things are, then you would understand all about those kind of things. Or if you're from there, you understand when I make those cultural references. Or if I reference the HBBTA or uh, the Big Chicken Run or a Slug Burger or Uncle Buddy, I mean, 
you, you, know, you know who it is when I'm talking about those kind of people. But if you're not from there or you haven't been there before, then, uh, then you really have a difficulty understanding what the story is that I'm telling. And sometimes that happens whenever we read the Old Testament. Uh, we have to think through who were these people and where did they live and how did they actually operate and, and what historical context are they op- actually operating under. So when you, so again, now when you think about the Old Testament and you're reading some things you want to understand, think this could be Uncle Buddy, Uncle Buddy at the Slugburger Festival with its HBBTA shirt on, and that'll give you a cultural reference going forward. Tracking with me? Good. Fourth, notice the order in which the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth are listed. So what you see is the Japhethites are uh, listed first. And and so there's not a whole lot of detail that's around the Japhethites because uh, uh, they were the people that were furthest removed. They were the people that were like, you know what, I'm out. And I, this is this this is a little one horse town for me, and we are going to get we are going to blow this joint. Uh, we we're out of here, and we're not sticking around. So uh, they were the people who the Israelites really had the least uh, connection with, or the least interactions with, as the scripture goes on. They were the people that kind of went to the ends of the earth. That's what you'll read about the Japhethites. Now the Hamites were mentioned second in this text. And uh, there was a little bit more detail given about them because they were the people that the, the Israelites had the most contact with. And actually some of them were their enemies. Look at verse six where it says, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Uh, that's in, ver- in, in uh, verse six in Genesis chapter 10. I mean, there's a couple of those names that are familiar to us. Which are those names that are familiar? Yeah, so Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Canaan, and what was the other one? Cush, Egypt, Put, and Egypt. Yeah, Egypt, yeah. So Egypt and Canaan are two of the people that we are the most familiar with. Uh, And so, again, when this was written, uh, uh, Israel had just been freed from Egypt, and they were traveling toward the land that God had promised them. They were traveling toward Canaan, and that was going to be the land that they were about to occupy. And and so that's whenever we get a lot of the the Hamites. And the Shemites were mentioned um, uh, last because this is actually the line in which the Hebrew people, God's chosen people, would actually come and, and be, and they would, and they would come out of. So five, uh, remember this: that Noah cursed Ham for his sin, but he did not curse Ham directly, but he cursed Canaan. And so now it should be clear why he cursed Canaan but, and not Ham, because not all who descended from Ham were cursed, but only the Canaanites. So again, as you know your biblical history and you know the fact that Egypt or that, uh, that uh, Israel would be in conflict with the Canaanites, it makes a lot of sense whenever we go back to Genesis 9 and 10 and see that Canaan was actually cursed. Uh, verse, uh, uh, verse ch- Genesis chapter 9, 25 says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be to his brother. And again, all this has to be considered um, from the perspective of the Israelites because that's when it was written and that is when it was written to. They'd just been redeemed from slavery, just got delivered out of Egypt, and they were moving toward the land of the Canaanites. And lastly, 
Uh, it's, it's significant that, it, that of all the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth are counted, the number uh, comes to 70. Whenever you count all these strange names and all these kind of things, 70 is the number of people that get listed here. And in the scripture, 70 is one of those numbers of completion. Uh, and, and so what we know is that there's many more descendants than 70 uh, in, that were listed because they had offspring and kids and all kind of cousins and all those kind of things like that. But 70 is meant as a number of completion. And, and so it's not communi- It's not meant to communicate that this is all the people that there were. But what it is meant is that the, that the people of all the world at that point had been dispersed. Okay? So in light of all that, let's talk about these uh, group three groups of people really quickly. First, the Japhethites. Say Japhethites. Let's try that one more time. Say Japhethites. Thank you. Uh, from the beginning, okay, from the beginning, it has been God's plan to bring salvation to people from every tribe and people and nation. That, that, that's been the plan, that salvation would come to every tribe and nation and tongue. And so this table of nations in Genesis chapter 10 makes it clear that those who descended from Japheth were the ones who were far removed. Uh, they were the Gentile people, people who that Israel would have the least contact with. And, and so God's purpose from the beginning was to bless all the nations on the earth, even those who were far off. It was his plan to even bless them through his chosen people, the Israelites, through who, the, through who which the Savior would come. But when the Savior would come, he would come and he would be the Savior of the world, not just the Hebrews only. And so the Savior is the one who would come and he would defeat the evil one, the evil one who plunged the world into sin. Well, well, how did Jesus come and how did actually Jesus come and crush the head of the serpent that was promised in Genesis chapter 3? Well, Jesus came onto the scene and he lived literally the life that nobody else could live. As you get into the laws and, and all God's demands that nobody could live up to those things, but Jesus came and he lived up to those things. He met all the demands of the law and he did them perfectly. Scripture says he lived a sinless life. And the scripture then tells us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Why did he have to die on the cross? Why did he have to shed his blood for our sins? The scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And the scripture also tells us that the blood of bulls and goats, all those uh, pieces of the sacrificial system that the Israelites had done through the Old Testament, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't cover anybody's sins. They were only pointing to the one who was to come. They were only pointing to the Lamb of God who was to come. And that would be Jesus who would shed his blood to cover our sin debts. And then glorious resurrection that we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday in just a few days, that we should celebrate every day the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus was victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and God raised him from the dead. And now he is ever interceding at the right hand of God on behalf of you and me. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is ever interceding. Whenever we sin, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father going, nope, I've got him. I've already covered him. My blood's already covered that sin. Yeah, I know it's a sin, but I've already paid that sin debt. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the Savior who came from the Hebrew people. Um, but but this because this Savior would come through a particular people. He would come through the Hebrews. He would come through the Jewish people. But he would come so that all of the nations of the earth might be saved. This was God's design from the beginning. And, and, and so, so much of, 
of the Old Testament and, and, and the, the, the books that are to come and the books that are following Genesis focus on this Hebrew people. And the reality is, it would seem like it was just God's plan to just save the Hebrew people. Uh, like I said, Genesis through the rest of the Old Testament is about things happening to the Hebrew. But don't listen to this. You got to catch this. This is important. That God's original design to bless the Japhethites, those who were far off, uh, would actually come through the Shemites because this, that's where Jesus is coming through. He's coming through the line of Shem. And he is going to bless those who are far off, who are the, the people of Japheth. That's a cool thing to think that in this story, we see the whole picture of redemption coming to pass. Look, you and I live in an amazing time today. Uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ has, has gone furthest, farther than it ever has to the corners of the earth. Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, has already come. He has already come, and he's already done those things that we just talked about. He atoned for our sins by his death and resurrection. And the good news of salvation has come to many throughout the earth. From The scripture says from, from Jerusalem to Judea to, to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Reaching even the Japhethites, the Gentiles, just as he promised. And here's the thing. You and I are beneficiaries of that promise. You and I are Gentiles. And so we get the benefits. You and I are getting to see, we're continuing to see with our own eyes, the saturation of the gospel reaching the Japhethites. Think about that. When someone today, a Gentile, a non-Jew, becomes a Christian today, that we get to see the Japhethites still being reached with the gospel. How cool is that? That's really cool. All right. So... Let's move on to the Hamites. Um, yeah, moving on. Second group. All God's people said? Yeah, yeah amen. Um, here's what we know about men throughout history. Those who have, have, are kind of a disregard for God or are, are building their own kingdoms, um, we know that men throughout history have chosen to build cities and erect monuments to make much of themselves, Right? I mean, we know that, that people like to, to toot their own horns and, and to build themselves up. And, and so the, the Hamite legacy is filled with this kind of storyline. I mean, if you trace their line through the scriptures, uh, you'll see that the, that the crux of this people was to, to build cities and gain wealth and to store up treasures on this earth. That, that's their legacy of that whole line of people. Uh, the, the, Ham, the Hamite legacy was one to live for themselves. And, and the truth is, is that the whole uh, human history can kind of be viewed from this angle. What do you mean, preacher? Well, there are those who belong to God, and there are those who are concerned for living for His glory and, and for seeing the advancement of the kingdom come to pass in the world today. And there are those who belong to the evil one and those who promote their own glory and those who promote their own self and those who want to make a name for themselves and advance the kingdom of this world. We know this. You, you can see this. You, you, you know this in your own life, in the lives of the people around you, in the culture in which we live. But, I, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, there's nothing wrong with success. Uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, being the best in your field. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But if this is your overarching driver, 
I mean, this is the thing uh, and, and, and the glory of God and, and the things of God and the gospel literally changing the lives of your family and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers is not even much of a thought for you. Then you're living in the legacy of the Hamites. Just building something for yourself. Just building something for yourself. Everything is about me, 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 and there's no regard for anybody else. You're living in the legacy of the Hamites. Church, there's nothing new under the sun. The, the, the lineage of Ham is characterized by this insatiable to desire to establish kingdoms where man's rule is supreme. Independent of God, sometimes even rebellious against God. And so if you're listening to me today, if you're hearing my voice today, or if you're hearing this a little bit later, whenever you go back and watch this video, you've got to examine yourself. You've got to check your motives and assess yourself. Are you living today pursuing for your own gain alone, or are you living in light of the gospel so that other people will come to know Jesus for the good of others. Let's move on to our third group. So thirdly, as we consider the Shemites, realize that God, by his grace, determined to set a people apart for himself uh, as holy and through them to provide a savior. That's the legacy of the Shemites. So from Shem, one of his sons, Eber would be born. And from Eber, the Hebrews, so you can kind of see that Eber, Hebrews, that's kind of where the Hebrew name came from, they would descend. Now, we don't see this in chapter 10, but in chapter 11, uh, if you look a little bit ahead in chapter 11, you'll see that the line of Shem is, again, discussed, and it's traced through Eber, uh, and at a time when Eber's son, Peleg, and eventually to Terah, would be the father of Abram, who is the father of the Hebrews. So if you guys are, some of you are about getting ready to have babies, and you want a good legacy and a good name, you could consider Peleg, or you could sit, consider Eber, or some of those names for your babies, because they had a good legacy, I'm just saying. <laughs> no? No? Okay. Just, okay. Or not. Or not. So what is the meaning of all this, whenever you think about this legacy that is coming down uh, through Shem? Uh, it shows that God, by His grace, was faithful to preserve a people for Himself through the, which the whole world would be, be blessed, through which the world would be provided a Savior. And so this is the story of the Scripture. This is a crucial aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ that through this lineage that you would eventually get to Jesus. And so we get to the big question, right? We, when you're going to preach a message, I'm, I'm a very big uh, proponent that there's got to be a so what. What do you do as you take this message and, and move out and, and Tuesday kind of pops you right in the face? Is this going to make a difference to you? That's the question. Does this whole lineage of people make a difference to you in the life that you live? Well, well let's look back at these three groups of people and maybe you'll identify yourself. Maybe you'll identify some people in your family. Maybe it'll, it'll spur some conversation for you and gospel conversations in your home or in the people that you are having influence with. First from the line of Japheth, uh, God's purpose has always been to save a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Um, and, and so we see that happening. Gospel advancement 
is going throughout the world today. We see the gospel sprouting up in all places that were dark before in dark countries. We see missionaries that are literally happening across the world where the gospel might have never been before, and people are coming to know Jesus. And that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And we even see it here at home in the United States where, shockingly, there are still people that have never heard the name of Jesus that don't know the gospel. And so I see that even happen with some of you who are sharing the good news of the gospel and people are coming to know Jesus. And so my encouragement for you is to pray for the nations. Pray When you think of praying for the nations, you can think back to this story. The Japhethites, the, the people who were spread out all over the world, uh, you can pray for the nations and that they might come to know Jesus. And let me say, let me take one side note here because this is very important. Um, in the gospel and in being a Christian, it's so important for us to realize that racism doesn't have a place in gospel advancement. Period. Yeah, racism doesn't have a place in gospel advancement because what, what we see is, is that, that uh, it doesn't have a place in Christ's church because Jesus died so that the nation, so that the world could come to know Jesus. Whatever people's skin color is, whatever their nationalities are, whatever their backgrounds are, racism just doesn't have a place. And it would be my encouragement for us, church, for us, Refuge specifically, and if you're even listening to me and you're a Christian, and maybe you're not part of Refuge Church, but you're hearing this today, that, that racism should just be put away. And if, you, if you've got racist tendencies in your family, you can't control what Papa does or says, but you can control what you do. You can control what you say. You can control what, how you react to people. Will you just pray that the Holy Spirit will help you put those things to death? Uh, because it, it tarnishes the message of the gospel whenever we allow that to be expressed. Let me move on. From, from the line of Ham, um, know that we have an enemy in this world. Uh, that there, the spirit of this world um, is really to build up my own, uh, my own kingdom, uh, to build up a kingdom that is an, an antithesis to that of God, is an opposite, in opposition to that of God, for the opposition of the glory and honor uh, of God. It's to bring glory and honor to man. And, and so let's just make sure that spirit is not in us. Make sure that the spirit of him is not in us. And this whole me culture and this self-centered culture is, is not for us to be uh, like that generations of him. Let us live for God's glory. And, and it may be that he, so, so that it is that he is our Lord. He is our king. And, and let us labor to promote the kingdom of God around us. And, and I would say even in this uh, um, uh, era and this 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 timing where COVID nineteen is running rampant and we suddenly have to remove ourselves from one another. There's still ways that we can see that the gospel. We're not promoting our own kingdom, but we're living out the implications of the gospel. Uh, many of you have already dropped off supplies for people that that don't have th things to eat. That in our in our schools that now that they're closed down they don't get meals uh, and, and so many of you have brought and dropped off food at my house I, I put a Facebook post on that said hey here's some items that we need and a number of you are dropping those things off because even in your isolation you're not living for yourself and that's really cool and I'm really I, I'm just so happy to be associated with the people who think of others more than they do of themselves that's the essence of what it means to be a Christian.
Uh, look for opportunities where you can love people, care for people, give to people, and share with people, even in this time of isolation today. And, and then lastly, uh, from the line of Shem, uh, let us just really think with amazement that God would call a people to himself, that God would spare a people when he didn't have to do those kind of things so that he might provide salvation to the world. That's what he did through the line of Shem. Because remember, we said through the line of Shem, the Savior came. And through Jesus, the world might be saved. Despite the sin then, and despite our sin today, Jesus came through the line of Abraham. And now that message of salvation is being sent out by you and me. The mess- what's the message? Repent of your sins. Believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus has come and lived the life you can't live, died the life you deserve to die, and was raised from the dead, accomplishing salvation on your behalf. And if you're here hearing me today or you're watching this today or watching this sometime in the future, you can be part of this spiritual line that we even talked about that was started back in Genesis chapter 10. How do you do it? As Adrian Rogers used to say, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I wish I had his voice. But you know what? I'm still talking about the same Jesus. Come to Jesus. Repent today. Be part of this lineage that will continue for eternity. Let me pray for us.